The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back, Buffalo Bills fans. It's Matt Warren, editor-in-chief at BuffaloRumlings.com and host of Buffalo Rumlings Q&A. The Bills have done it. The Bills have clinched a playoff spot in 2019, something they haven't been able to do more than once in the last 20 years. So the Bills are going back to the playoffs. I'm pretty pumped about it. As we continue on in the season, I wanted to remind you, you can submit your questions to our episode. You can call us at 716-508-0405. That's a voicemail line. You can do it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can tweet us at Rumlinks Q&A. Send us Facebook messages, uh, Instagram messages. You can email us using buffalorumlings at sbnation.com. You can leave questions in the show notes on buffalorumlings.com. There's lots of ways to get in touch with the show to have your questions answered by me so before we get to your questions this week we'll go through my five takeaways from the very late night game against the Pittsburgh Steelers let's get to it my first takeaway from the game was just the word playoffs with an exclamation point. I think for those of us that have lived through the drought, uh, that remember the Bills going to the playoffs on a very regular basis in the early 90s, but then remember the fall off over the last 20 years. It's been truly a remarkable ride these last couple of years as we got to re-experience what it's like to go to the postseason. And it's also really fun to be able to root for a team like this. They're doing things the right way. They seem to care about each other. They seem to be having a good time. And, and doing things the right way. So it's always fun to to root for teams that are doing it that way. Speaking of guys to root for, Tredavious White has been absolutely so much fun to watch and root for this year. Not only did we get the great uh, Trey White Goalie Academy line uh, when he was introducing himself on Sunday Night Football, but he also came to play. Uh, two interceptions, including a nice long run back that uh, allowed the Bills to tie the game at 10. Uh, it was really worrisome for me when he was knocked from the game early on, but he was able to come back and really make an impact on the game. Uh, he needs to be in the Pro Bowl. He should be in the All-Pro conversation right now because he is first in the league with six interceptions on the season. 
the fourth down aggressiveness that Sean McDermott showed early in the game was uh, pretty remarkable for me. I don't know if you guys know this, but um, I I've been really down on how Sean McDermott has done his in-game coaching, and it seems to be getting better and better as his career goes on, which is great. He always preaches growth mindset in every aspect of his life, and he really is showing it on the field. On fourth and six from the Pittsburgh 36 in the first quarter, the Bills went for it. Fourth and six is not typically a yardage where a lot of coaches would go for it, and I did not expect Sean McDermott to go for it. I expected him to try a long 53-yard field goal. Now, maybe something's going on with Steven Hauschka, or McDermott has noticed that Hauschka isn't really being consistent uh, on his long kicks, which kind of led to the decision, but... Um, it, it was very surprising to me that they kept the offense on the field and ran a play. I expected them to maybe try to do the offside thing where they get um, five yards. Even that wouldn't have given them the first down, but it would have made for a much closer field goal for Hauschka. Um, and then if they don't get them drawn offsides, they take the penalty, move it back to the 41 and punt. Um, so I was very pleasantly surprised when they went for it with John, uh, a catch by John Brown. Uh, he got 10 yards on fourth and six and uh McDermott really hasn't been afraid to go for it on fourth down the season, and it's 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 good to see uh, that he's using the analytics in a really successful way. Um, on kind of the other side of the coin, at the end of the first half, with just under two minutes left at their own ten, they 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 tucked it in and went into halftime. Um, they just ran kind of three Devin Singletary runs. They gained twelve yards on those three runs, and then. Just let the clock run out. Uh, they were up by 7-3. So I, I get like going into halftime with the lead, but they had to kick it off at the beginning of the second half. So I just, I, I didn't understand not, I mean, they had all three timeouts. They could have, they had two minutes and all three timeouts. They could have tried something to get into field goal range at the very least. So I, I was a little bit disappointed in that. But against the Steelers defense, you can at least understand where they wouldn't want to make any big mistakes but I would have liked to have seen them try to go for some points there at the end of the first half. And then finally, uh, certainly not least, uh, the defense came up big again this week. They had five turnovers Sunday night, led the Steeler, held the Steelers' offense to 229 total yards. They just keep coming up big in big places. And this week it was the interceptions. They had um, four interceptions of Duck Hodges, which, uh, you know, it shouldn't be too surprising because of how inexperienced he is and how good the Bills' defense is, but it was still surprising just to see them continue doing it over and over again. They also had one fumble recovery. You know, I wrote about it last week after the game against the Baltimore Ravens, but this defense is Super Bowl caliber, and uh, this defense is going to allow them to be in games in the playoffs and win games in the playoffs. So it's, um, it's pretty encouraging to see what this defense has been able to do and uh, as a lot of people are saying around the NFL landscape, I wouldn't want to see the Bills in a wild card game in a few weeks. While we're on the topic of playoffs, there is playoff merchandise available at our website. Just go to buffalorumlinks.com. It's, right, it's pinned right near the top there of the uh, story feed. I'll put a link in the show notes as well. You can get your Buffalo Bills playoff gear right on buffalorumlinks.com right now. Now let's get to your questions, and the questions I'm getting a lot this week is how can the Bills still win the AFC East? Well, step one starts Saturday afternoon at 4.30 against the New England Patriots in Foxborough, Massachusetts. The Buffalo Bills have to go into New England and beat the Patriots on the road in a meaningful game, something they haven't done in, I don't know, maybe 20 years. 
Let's go through the last couple Bills wins in New England. Back in 2016, the Bills were able to beat the Patriots 16 to nothing, but that was with Jacoby Brissett as the quarterback, not Tom Brady, who was suspended at the time. Going a couple seasons before that, in 2014, the Patriots had already clinched everything they needed to clinch. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo came in to play the majority of the game in place of Tom Brady. The Bills ended up winning that game 17-9. Going further back, it's going to take a while. Uh, The last time the Bills won in New England in a game that mattered was... The year 2000, the Patriots scored 13 points. The Bills scored 16 points. In that game, Drew Bledsoe and John Fries combined for two interceptions and just 116 passing yards between the two of them. And Doug Flutie had 179 passing yards. The Bills were able to win 16-13. So while the Bills, especially under Sean McDermott, have put up a really good fight against the Patriots' offense, it's not something that they've done. They haven't beat the Patriots in a meaningful game in Massachusetts since before Tom Brady was the quarterback in New England. So it's going to be a huge game for the Bills, um, and not just for this season, because we already know they're going to be in the playoffs one way or the other. And um, and it, even if they do beat the Patriots this week, it'll be... I'll say unlikely that the Bills end up winning the division. We'll get to that in a second. But it would be a great step for the Bills, not just for 2019, but for the future, uh, to finally slay the dragon, to overcome the adversity, maybe to send Tom Brady packing uh, into retirement. Um, not that I think he's like Dunzo or anything like that, but if he continues his poor play, are the Patriots really going to re-sign him to a huge contract? We'll see how that all plays out. That's a different story. The question, let's circle back to that. How can the Bills win the AFC East? The Bills have to beat the Patriots this week. And then Buffalo has to win against the New York Jets in Week 17, while the Miami Dolphins beat the New England Patriots in Week 17. And uh, we need a little bit of Fitz magic, but that's okay. And uh, we'll uh, we'll see how that all shakes out as the, uh, the Bills and Patriots go into the final two weeks of their season. If Buffalo does win against the Patriots and they do end up winning the division, they're most likely to be either on that cusp of that two or three seed, depending on what the Chiefs do. The Chiefs would need to lose one of their games or or both of their games for Buffalo to get into that first-round bye territory uh, to get the second seed. Uh, So they'll be right on the cusp of that. If Buffalo beats the Patriots and loses in Week 17, or even the opposite, uh, the Bills will still be in fifth place. So um, if Buffalo does lose this week against New England, you can expect to see them rest their starters in Week 17 as they get ready for the playoffs. So let's head to the phone lines for our first fan question of the week at 716-508-0405. Hey, this is Stephen calling from Vancouver, British Columbia, proud Bills fan from the West Coast. Just a quick question for you. Is the biggest difference between this era of the Bills and, and the prior eras that have been less successful, the fact that Bean's actually hitting on his draft picks? I mean, you take a look at Allen and Edmonds and White, Singletary and Oliver, just as a few examples, and they're just knocking it out of the park this year, and we're seeing them as a great core. So I'm just wondering if you see that as being the biggest difference, or maybe it's the offseason signings, uh, or just a, a good different mindset. Anyway, appreciate the uh, the examples and the, the thoughts, and look forward to hearing from you. Bye. Hi, Stephen. Thanks for the question, and thanks for calling in all the way from the west coast of Canada. 
I do think that's part of it. I do think hitting on the draft picks is is really important, and it's certainly important for the long-term s- sustained success of what the Bills are building. You you see got drafting guys like Tredavious White, Matt Milano, uh, into the more recent draft picks, like you mentioned, and you know keeping your costs down with high-performing draft picks is one of the ways that you sustain success in the NFL. I think part of it is the culture that Sean McDermott and eventually Brandon Bean have built at One Bills Drive. They've they've brought in guys with a certain character who it's not just, you know, like good guys who are, you know, always focused on football and things like that, but it's it's a group of guys that is willing to at least come together and fight for each other. Um, you see the camaraderie on the sidelines when they're dancing to things like, you know, Renegade during the Pittsburgh Steelers game, or they're, you know, they're they're being together, um, going out to eat dinner or whatever it happens to be, and you can see the camaraderie building uh, among the team. Uh, the whole trust the process stuff is something that a lot of us made fun of or you know keep referencing but i do think that it's actually working out in their benefit right now you can see how this team is coming together and um a guy like josh allen leading the offense uh we had veterans whether it's kyle williams lorenzo alexander whoever leading the defense and you could like see them all kind of coalescing together and around each other um they are willing to step up and make plays when something bad happens on the other side of the ball. They try to rile each other up in those situations and, and hold each other accountable as well. So I think it's just a really good combination of talent and uh, process. And uh, you see that with the the free agents they've brought in too. So, I mean, you really can't discount the impact that the free agents have made this year. And so just seeing that all play out because the Bills were so methodical in their Um, salary cap management has just been so great to see. Thanks for your question, Stephen, and uh, keep rooting for the Bills out on the West Coast. Go Bills. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break. Let's go to Twitter for our Twitter question of the week at Rumlings Q and A. That's with the word and spelled out in the middle of it. Buffalo Love 1914 asks us, where was Ed Oliver tonight? Uh, Ed Oliver has been seeing the most double teams of anybody on the Bills defensive line. They are game planning to stop the interior pressure. And really, that's what we want to see from a first round pick. We want the entire focus of the offensive line to be on stopping Ed Oliver. He's still getting home. He's still generating pressure. He's still getting into the backfield and making plays. But uh, the Steelers made a concerted effort to keep him out of the backfield, out of Duck Hodges' face. And the, the Baltimore Ravens did the exact same thing, and multiple teams are doing that. He is really coming into his own as a pass rusher. He still needs to keep working on his counter moves. Uh, But uh, I think he's doing a great job coming along from being a first-round pick in the 2019 NFL Draft at a traditionally slow-developing position. Uh, Defensive tackles don't usually come in and set the world on fire, especially when they're coming from a lower level of conference play. They're a little bit undersized, like Ed Oliver. So, I I mean, for what he's been asked to do, I think he's performing really, really well. Um, And he's playing a ton of snaps for the Bills. Right now, especially with Corey Legit being hurt, they don't really have a ton of, say, uh, depth at the position right now. But they've been rotating 
Oliver, Jordan Phillips, and Star Latoulele. And I think the interior of the Bills defensive line is doing an outstanding job this season. Thanks for your question over at Rumlings Q&A. Let's head back to the phone lines at 716-508-0405 for our next question. Yeah, this is uh, Jim Z from Leroy, New York. After the Dallas game, Brian Dabo was considered the second coming of whoever. And uh, you come to this game here with the Ravens, virtually no creativity. You don't want your quarterbacks being pressured. Where were the screenplays that slow down the defense? Nada. Zero. No screenplays. And the one screenplay they ran in the game before that, <clears throat> Josh Allen dropped straight back instead of fading away from where the screen was going to go. So when he threw the ball, there were two defenders waiting right there for the guy to catch the ball. There's absolutely no creativity hardly ever on the offense. Yeah, we had that <clears throat> play with the uh, where John Brown threw the touchdown to Singletary, but other than that, our our offense is like a plain Jane, so easy to figure out, so easy to defend against, and uh, you know somebody needs to light a fire under Dayball's butt and uh, have a less predictable offense that knows how to keep the defense off balance. That's my questions. Good luck answering them. Hi, Jim. Thanks for your question from Leroy, New York, the birthplace of Jello. I think the reason they don't run more screen passes is, as you have noticed, they suck at them. They don't want to spend a ton of time building screen passes into their playbook. Um, you saw it a little bit against the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, in the most recent game, is that they, well, they, they, they tried two different things to take away the, the Steelers' pass rush. They had a severe uptick in snaps for Lee Smith and Patrick DeMarco where they went a little bit more max protect and they only sent two or three guys out into routes. Uh, and that just allowed the Bills to establish a little bit better of a pocket um, with a little bit better blockers. And uh, it worked most of the time. Uh, they were still being able to scheme guys open. Uh, in fact, the interception that Josh Allen threw over the middle of the field in the game off of Cole Beasley's hands was a two-man route uh, as far as I could tell, uh, Patrick DeMarco was in the game. Devin Singletary was in the backfield as well. It was a play-action pass. DeMarco eventually did go out into a route. He leaked out into a route. Uh, but, I mean, if there had been a free rusher coming, that's what he was there for, would be to block the rusher. Um, Cole Beasley made a cut. He was open in space. Josh Allen hit him on the hands, and it went up in the air and went to the safety, who was trailing Beasley. But it was you know, a pass that he had to make in triple coverage. Uh, there was a linebacker underneath he had to throw it over the top of. There was a cornerback on Beasley, and then there was a safety behind Beasley. And one of the things you do when you bring in that kind of beef with, with DeMarco is that you, and run max protect like they did, is that you leave more defenders in the defensive backfield, which is what you saw. And sometimes the bounces don't go your way, obviously through Cole Beasley's hands. But um, the other thing that they did was they spread it out just a little bit more as well. So they kept going back and forth between the hefty guys and the Smurfs. And when they brought the Smurfs in, they 
we're able to spread out the field just a little bit and and get a guys a little bit more open in space and you saw that as well so uh, i do think that they're trying different things to stop the cover one or the cover zero pressure where it's just kind of man-to-man -man on the back end and they're worried about blitzers coming free blitzers coming um if there's six guys rushing and only five guys to block that's a problem obviously and the bills are going to have to prove that they can beat that but they they are trying different ways to do that um i they're not trying screens because they stink at them. There was a play call for a halfback pass against the Steelers, but it was bobbled up before Frank Gore could even cock his arm back to try and throw, thankfully. So, I mean, they're trying creative things to deal with the pressure. You just might not appreciate the things that they are trying to do. Um, and I thought their offense did pretty well against uh, a pretty good defense in the Pittsburgh Steelers last week. And um, they did okay against the Baltimore Ravens the week earlier. Um, Hopefully they'll be able to take the information from these two games and even the game against the Patriots and use it going forward as they prepare for the playoffs. Thanks for your question from Leroy, Jim. Back to the voicemail line one more time, 716-508-0405. Hey, this is Tony Camara from Alpharetta, Georgia. Hey, thanks for what you guys are doing. Enjoy the podcast. Uh, my question is, and it might be a little bit early, who of our free agents would you focus on re-signing if you had the pen? Appreciate it. Thanks again for everything, and go Bills. Tony's question kind of lines up with uh, Brett Smart, who asks us, is there anyone worth franchise tagging like Shaq Lawson or Jordan Phillips? So let's answer it all kind of together. I'll answer that second question first just to get it out of the way. I don't think there's anybody on the team worth the franchise tag. The franchise tag for defensive tackles and defensive ends is going to be out of this world to re-sign or to use that to keep Phillips or Lawson. And I don't think anybody else that's on the free agency list is worth it either. So I don't expect the Bills to use the franchise tag this year. Uh, looking at some of the other free agents beyond Phillips and Lawson, you have Kevin Johnson, who's been playing pretty well at the cornerback position. He's going to be looking for an upgraded contract somewhere, whether it's in Buffalo or not. I think he's a great player uh, to keep around. And if he'll sign for you know, a reasonable contract. I would love to have him back. Lorenzo Alexander should be a focus if they can get him to resign. He's going to be 37, but he's still playing pretty well. He's not exactly quick and fast, so maybe they want to move on from him. Um, but maybe that's also a place where Shaq Lawson can start going is kind of that hybrid role, play a little bit of defensive tackle, a little bit of defensive end, maybe even stand up and play linebacker from time to time, but they would have to resign him to do that. But that could move him up the list of priority and add you know a zero to his contract if he's willing to play multiple positions and be that kind of swiss army knife that lorenzo alexander plays right now looking around you've got other people like quentin spain they're going to need a left guard at some point so if you want to re-sign spain to do that that's fine uh, spencer long is on a club option kind of the same deal if you want him to maybe be the starter at guard uh, you can uh, keep him on his club option for whatever it is, $4 million. Uh, Frank Gore is a free agent. He's another guy that they could probably look to re-sign um, just to be that you know security blanket for the Bills and the veteran presence. Um, Ladrian Waddle, uh, the backup offensive tackle who was lost for the season, could come back. So, so Lawson's the guy I'd most like to see back, but he's also going to be the most expensive, so I don't anticipate Buffalo re-signing him. After Lawson, I really want them to figure out what they want to do at guard long-term, whether that's Spain, whether that's long, whether that's moving Cody forward and drafting or signing a right tackle. Um, 
So that's more of a long-term concept, whether the Bills want to do on their offensive line. Thanks for your questions at Rumblings Q&A on Twitter and at our voicemail line. As always, you can everybody can call in at 716-508-0405. Leave your questions in the comments section, Facebook messages, emails at buffalorumblings at sbnation.com. Uh, you can send us Instagram messages too over at Buffalo Rumblings. Uh, if you haven't yet, please go leave us a review over at the iTunes store or wherever you listen to your podcast. It really helps other folks find our shows. And uh, there's plenty of shows in the Buffalo Rumblings podcast. Podcast Network. Go Bills.